Welcome to the Carbon Stations podcast, where we speak to some of the leading figures in the emerging carbon industry. Joining us for today's episode is Marianne Kruger, co-founder of Remove, an accelerator program focused specifically on supporting new companies in the carbon removal space. Uh, Marianne, it's a pleasure to meet you and thank you for making the time to be on the show. We have a tradition on this podcast, which is uh, first to get to know our guest background a little bit before we move on to the carbon side of things. So please do tell us a bit about yourself and what essentially led you to the carbon removal space. Sure, happy to. Thanks for having me. Uh, great fan of the podcast. So um, excited to be here. So I'm a behavioral economist by training, but really spent my whole career in climate tech, even when it was still called clean tech. Um, I started out working for a green utility in Germany and then founded my own startup in the solar PV space. We optimized large solar parks all over Europe with drones and AI. Um, and then after that got acquired, I uh, spent some time traveling, but definitely wanted to continue to stay in climate tech and even improve the impact that, that I was having. So I joined ETH Zurich, not in any academic role, but um, there is a very interesting group called the Sustainability and Business Lab, which I haven't seen anywhere else in the world, quite frankly. It's connected to the university, but basically a, a think tank slash boutique consultancy working on really hard climate problems. And there I took over to lead the decarbonization efforts. And um, that also really was the foundation for me getting into carbon removal. We were working a lot on hard to decarbonize sectors. So maritime shipping, aviation, cement, and also waste or energy. Um, and in one project, we tried to figure out, hey, what options do waste energy plants in Switzerland actually have to decarbonize? And, and really, the only way to do that is to do point source CCS, uh, so to capture the emissions at the source, then transport and store them um, for extended periods of time uh, in, in um, either under the North Sea or in Iceland using carp fix. And in Switzerland, the waste energy plants burn about 50% biogenic waste. So that's household waste, that is trimmings from woodwork. Um, and those, of course, are biogenic. And if you then capture that CO2, we quickly realized, well, this is actually carbon removal. This was back in, in early 2020. So that really was my first uh, interaction with carbon removal. So then looking at trying to figure out, hey, what is this thing called carbon removal? How does it affect the business case for waste energy? really led us to, well, we'll consider carbon removal as um, not only a part of the mitigation uh, portfolio we will need in 2050, but also as something that um, we would need to take a closer look on if we wanted to find um, systemic gaps that uh, we could potentially also fill with projects. Okay, thank you. And uh, so why did you choose to, to co-found Remove and what exactly led you to this particular way of taking climate action? Yeah, so it was really sparked by this insight, um, looking at the numbers that IPCC scenarios back then already were telling us we'd need in 2050 in terms of volumes of carbon removal, and then looking around and just not seeing any suppliers and no ecosystem whatsoever. There basically was Climeworks and a few others uh, in the US uh, and some budding ecosystem in Europe, but that was about it. So we clearly saw back then at uh, the Sustainability Business Lab that this was a systemic gap. Um, CDR is fundamentally different from other industries. And, and so also with my startup background, I, I thought this needs dedicated support. Uh, what intrigued me really was that, interestingly, the carbon wool market as it stood then and stands now, I think is actually more of a 
B2C market than the B2B market, which of course is counterintuitive because transactions are happening between business to business. But mm, typically in B2B transactions, the product I am selling is, is an input form, a buyer's output. So if I'm a steel maker, I sell a car to a car manufacturer who then turns this into a car, the steel into a car. So in CDR, if I turn a, a ton of carbon removal, very rarely feeds into a buyer's output. So it is actually more consumed than, than used. So that makes it quite bespoke and, and unique. Uh, and, and we realized that quite early and said, hey, um, you, traditional B2B logic doesn't apply here and it probably needs a dedicated uh, accelerator or support system for this to really take off. Um, and then that was late 2020, early 2021, we started the accelerator um, while still at ETH, together with the TU Delft, a, another technical university in the Netherlands, where my co-founder was connected to. And then um, moving ahead in early 2023, we took it sort of out of this consortium logic and into its own nonprofit entity, which now is removed. Um, and the decision to do it as a nonprofit was, I think, very deliberate uh, because we really wanted to put impact and closing systemic gaps first. and didn't want to say compromise um, because of financial interest or anything. And I think we're very happy with that decision. So that's sort of how Remove as a separate entity came into being. That's uh, that's very impressive. I was curious also to find out more about the application process uh, for Remove, if you could share a bit about what that looks like. And yeah, if, if I were a startup to say, uh, <laughs> what would I have to do for you to approve of me? No, absolutely. Um, so first of all, having been founders ourselves, we know that the most time, uh, the constraining resource is time. So we've tried to really uh, make the process as efficient as possible. The first thing that you'd need to check is whether you're based in Europe, which I know you are, so that we can check, make it to do a, a check mark behind that. Um, when it comes to the carbon removal solutions we support, we're agnostic as to what type of removal solution you would be developing. So we have, we're open to more temporary nature restoration, we're open to more durable solutions, and also the enabling environment, say MRV providers or marketplaces um, or insurance providers, because we believe fundamentally that, that it requires all of this. So if sort of you work on carbon removal in Europe, uh, that means you're eligible and you can apply on our website. We really have tried to keep it as easy as possible. Um, and after you've applied, we um, will have a quick short interview with you just to get to know you, to figure out is the accelerator a good fit from your end, from our end. And then we have an external jury that will make decisions based on the application that you've sent in. We actually have a deadline coming up for the next cohort, which is 1st of March. So if anyone's listening out there, uh, working on carbon removal, early stage, and uh, it's based in Europe, we're, we're very happy to hear from you. Absolutely. There will be a link for Remove's website in the description uh, of this podcast as well. I know that you also prefer it for startups to have more than one founder. Can you share why that is? Yeah, I think it's also a bit from our experience. We know that it is not uncommon for someone to, for instance, develop a technology at the university and then try to commercialize it. Building a startup is hard and it's very hard to do by yourself. This is not a very hard criterion. So if you've, if you have an absolutely breakthrough technology and you apply, we encourage you to find a co-founder. We're happy to help you on that. 
um, building a startup by yourself as a single founder is tricky and there is data out there that should suggest having one to several co-founders um, quite significantly increases the chances of you making it. And quite frankly, it's also good for your mental health <laughs> uh, because indeed it, it it is, you must be a bit crazy to start a startup. Uh, and then even more so in an in industry such as CDR and, or in Clambadec in general. So it helps to have someone whom you can share your mental burden with, whom you can um, complain about the market, the tech, and share your sorrow, and quite frankly, also um, celebrate your wins. Thank you. So with all that said, uh, what benefits do startups reap from being accepted by Remove? Yeah, I think the, the most relevant thing we provide is the CDR expertise. So we've very deliberately said, we are not going to be a broad climate tech accelerator. We are going to focus on this small niche that is ca the carbon removal, which in the future will become a massive industry, which currently is a niche. Why do we do that? Because of what I mentioned earlier, right? It's, it's just a very unique industry. It's quite bespoke. Carbon removal as a product is different from any and all other climate tech product, products out there. So that's why we said, hey, it needs to be a dedicated program on this. And that's why also we've really gathered tremendous amounts of expertise internally, but also have an expert network that we bring in. And this is from the feedback surveys and, and, and interviews that we do with our alumni. We know this is really what they come for because we focus on CR, because we have the relevant expertise and the network that we can support them. At the same time, of course, building a startup isn't only about sort of the industry that you're in, but there are also more general, more generic entrepreneurship challenges that you face. And since we've done this before, uh, both ourselves as founders and having run accelerator programs in the past, we have quite a good idea of how to support star uh, startups and founders on this, be that fundraising, be that sales, be that HR, marketing, all these functions, which you would also find in any other startup, but nevertheless are still relevant for any kind of rule startup. Um, so uh, we, we also, of course, support on this. We have by now a community of more than 400 European I want to call them CDR enthusiasts in, in our Slack channel, which is also open to anyone working in carbon removal in Europe. Um, I think this community is also very helpful. I've talked about how hard it is to, um, to found a startup in particular in CDR. It helps to have peers who have either done it before, who are in the same boat, whom you can then exchange with, potentially collaborate with, and also, yeah, just share your enthusiasm with. And lastly, um, we were very aware that in the earliest days, especially for technologies or markets which are new and, and unvalidated, such as carbon removal, funding is hard to get by. So we also provide non-dilutive funding. So that's funding that doesn't dilute the founder because we don't take any equity of up to, uh, to 50,000 euros uh, for every startup. And that might not be a lot in the grand scheme of things, but in the earliest days can really make the difference of being able to for instance, hire a lab technician or buy your first feedstock for your pilot plan or um, invest in the critical um, test that you need to run or soil samples that you need to have uh, analyzed. So this, I think, gives you yeah, a, a kind of a, a good overview of, of what the accelerator is about. Just wanted to clarify uh... You mentioned CDR expertise. Does this mean knowledge is fine as, as far as like science and technology goes or also things beyond that? I think it's 
both the science and tech, although um, neither I nor my co-founder are, for instance, I know, biogeochemists. So if it gets down to the really nitty gritty, that's where it is great to be closely connected to ETH, which still is a, is a core partner of ours, to then tap into really the academic expertise that uh, startups might, might need. Uh, same thing about so life cycle assessment. So in our program, we have, for instance, an expert session on life cycle assessment where we bring in someone from Palshera Institute, which is the world leading institute on, on, car, on, on life cycle assessment, who then works one-on-one -on -one with the startups on their individual LCAs. So I think we as a team have a very good, broad perspective on carbon removal because we see a lot. We really have a front row seat to carbon removal innovation and we can make connections, we can see patterns, uh, and we can then, based on this, advise or share our, our takes on, on certain challenges. But once we feel like, hey, this is a challenge that becomes so technical and so unique that um, it will require really expert expertise, that's when we can tap into our network. Okay, thank you. So now that we have the startup's perspective, I'm also interested in knowing what the process looks like from your perspective. Like, do you personally interact with the companies? And if so, what do you enjoy most about it? And what do you not enjoy if you're comfortable sharing that? <laughs> I mean, I, I absolutely love it. Like, I, I think I already mentioned um, how crazy you have to be to found a startup, let alone a startup in carbon removal. And there's this little more exciting to see founders who still embark on this journey because you would only do this if you really believed 100% that this is well, your calling or that you really feel like this needs to happen. And that level of dedication is just very easy to work with, right? Um, it, is, it is a pleasure to just see, and, and also I take a lot of energy from it, um, to just work with these teams up close. We, like Ofer and I, meet every team every other week. So we're really close to their challenges and successes. And of course, the successes are um, nicer to celebrate with than um, the downs, but the downs, downs are also part of it. And, and we, well, uh, we hope to, and yeah, we, we help in getting through them as well. Um, the, I mean, unfortunate side, of course, is the reality that not all startups make it. Um, actually, if we look at the data, depending on which source you look at, eight to nine startups won't make it in the long run. So that is just part of the reality of working in startups. Uh, up until now, we've been very fortunate. We have worked with more than 100 startups uh, up until now, and we last checked from what we know, 95% of them are still active out there, really making a difference. So that is, yeah, I was also surprised to see that, um, that it, that is certainly um, an absolutely yeah, amazing number, which we're very happy about. Uh, that being said, it's clear that at some point um, that number might drop as the, the space matures, but uh, we'll do our best to keep it as high as possible. Wow. Are there any particular case studies that like you're most proud of? It's a question I get a lot. And like, it's as if you asked a parent which of his childs he or she likes the most, right? So I would, I would say, of course, I like them all the, uh, the same. Um, what I'm, what I'm excited about is, yeah, maybe the, the more than 100 startups and what they've achieved so far in aggregate. So we, we recently ran the numbers. They've uh, raised more than 130 million euros in funding. They've created, and this, this number I found really, really striking and, and interesting. They've created more than 1,300 jobs already uh, in the world. Um, and 30, and 40, 30 to 40% uh, of them are actually female founders or had female founders in, in, their, in their core team, which is also 
I think two to three times the average in general startups, which also is just great. So those are things that I'm particularly proud of, but there of course are maybe a few, um, I would say, yeah, maybe case studies is the right word that, that I think uh, stand out. So there is one startup from, from Switzerland called Neustark. They mineralize biogenic CO2 and recycled concrete and really have come to a point where they, they're now at in the face of scaling and deploying massively around Europe. They already have 14 plants in operation. Uh, just yesterday, they announced a massive deal with Microsoft. So that really is, I think, one of the, um, yeah, one of the cases I look at uh, and, and I'm quite, quite happy about. Um, they were on in our program very, very early. Um, three of our startups also got selected by the Canadian DAC deployer Deep Sky um, to deliver their units for deployment. So that's Carbon Atlantis, Airhive, and Free Carbon. So that's quite exciting. Uh, you actually have a DAC deployer paying for these startups to build their units to be deployed in the real world. Quite exciting. Um, and maybe as, as a third one to also give you sort of maybe touch on the nature restoration side a bit, uh, there's a startup from France called Morpho. They do reforestation and nature restoration at scale using drones, uh, mostly in the global south. Um, they're very active in Brazil, for instance, and just lately they were big in the news uh, together with the mayor of Rio because they're uh, restoring parts of Rio that are basically without drones otherwise impossible to restore. Um, so these are maybe just a few examples, but again, I I love to work with any and every startup that we have in, and, and all of them are making tremendous strides. That's brilliant. I'm, I'm really impressed by literally everything you've mentioned so far. So thank you for, for sharing all these uh, details of how a, a climate accelerator operates and the contributions you make to the world, really. On a different note, I would like to also get, get your take on uh, the EU's res recent uh, 2040 emissions reduction targets proposal and uh, what and how it will come to mean for the carbon removal space at large. Yeah, I think it was quite exciting to see it. Um, there were leaks beforehand which suggested maybe more progressive uh, takes or content from a carbon removal perspective. What we now have in the end is, I think, decent. Um, what's on the, on the positive side, I think it's very good that there are at least semi-separate targets for emission reductions and removals. Uh, it's not perfect um, because there's, there's no real distinction between temporary and more durable forms of carbon removal. They're sort of uh, mixed together. Uh, but it still suggests that in 2040, um, we will have remaining emissions of 850 million tons and removal should account for 400 million tons. So you could argue, well, that is sort of a separate target, which is great. Um, at the same time, there are a few things that um, uh, we'll have to see once this has actually turned into a legislative proposal, because this really was only the start, right? It gives us an idea of where we're headed, but I think now the, the, the political process is really what follows. Um, and apart from that, um, I think open is still how prescriptive or open the EU will be in terms of carbon removal methods. I'm as, uh, or together with a lot of the, a lot, a lot of other players in the space, we clearly call for tech neutrality on this. Uh, it's way too early to call winners. 
We need a lot of shouts on goal. We need uh, a broad portfolio to really reach the mega and gigatons we will need in 2040, 2050. So, um, restricting the definition of carbon removal to just a certain type of carbon removal right now wouldn't serve that purpose very well. What's also unclear is how the carbon removal certification framework really feeds into this. Um, so in, in all, I think this is a, a great start. It suggests that carbon removal is clearly um, on the agenda for the EU commission. Um, it's a certainly more ambitious target than we we'd seen maybe last year or the year before in terms of what was was proposed or talked about. There's still a few issues with it, which hopefully during the legislative process will be will be taken up and will be will be worked on. In uh, in total, I think it's net net good, uh, especially for startups, because this provides a first or another market signal that carbon removal will be required. Uh, going forward. Um, of course, there's a, a bit of insecurity around how much and when, but in general, I think it's a good sign um, because right now, quite frankly, no one really needs carbon removal, and that is a big issue for startups. Um, I think anything else who I really enjoy reading uh, about uh, all things EU policies, Eva Thomas, so she's written a really good uh, um, piece about this. So uh, if anyone wanted to do a bit of a deep dive also on the implications of what does this mean for domestic or international credits? I think Ever is the right one to have a look at here. Perhaps on that same line of thought, as far as scaling CDR goes, what role do you believe the VCM has to play in it? Or, or other scaling mechanisms that you feel most hopeful about? Yeah, I guess the VCM certainly is not the perfect instrument, uh, right, given its legacy. Um, but we're kind of stuck with it for now. So we have to make do with it. Um, I think it's quite clear that we won't get to the scales we need in 2050 um, without a move to compliance markets or government procurement. Um, I think just relying on voluntary procurements is not going to cut it, unfortunately. Uh, so it certainly has a clear role in scaling up carbon removal right now, certainly, also going forward. I'm expecting a shift towards other forms of um, procurement or support for, for the market going forward because that just needs to happen, right? Because right now we're in this really tricky situation, especially for CR suppliers and startups. Everyone kind of agrees the market will exist at some point because quite frankly, if it doesn't, we have a big problem just from climate physics. Um, but right now, the market just doesn't exist. Uh, we did a startup survey of all the startups that we'd worked with last year together with, with ETH. And um, the number one thing was exactly this, or the number one challenge was this. The market isn't there right now. It will exist in the future. How do startups survive until it exists, right? It really becomes a matter of survival. And in our daily work with startups, that actually is, um, a lot of the cases, th this is the biggest challenge to work on. What are ways that startups can extend their runway, can generate revenue from other sources than the VCM? Because it is just very hard to find buyers. There's not a lot of them. And if you are in the sales process, it takes a lot of time because it, it just isn't priority for, for, um, for buyers at this point. Uh, do you think it has, that has to do with um, the price point of, um, of carbon removals at this point? Quite frankly, I don't think so. 
if we look at, so CEO therefore I did, did a, a market survey uh, late last year, which they published a few weeks ago, which also looked at the motives why corporates or companies are actually buying carbon removal. And the number one thing was to support carbon removal uh, sort of catalytically. And then the other ones were more strategic, right? Getting a foot in the door uh, with suppliers, establishing relationships, learning about, um, about carbon removal through procurement. None of them are really about, oh, I need, I have a, a need for carbon removal, which I need to fulfill at the least price. Of course, a direct air, direct air capture credit at 1500 uh, euros is prohibitively expensive. But given the volumes we're at right now and the reasons why companies are buying carbon removal, I don't think price is necessarily the reason why they're not engaging because um, they're not um, using that credit for anything. It doesn't affect their, their, their P&L necessarily too much. Um, they're really buying it to well, consume it, uh, to use it for, for other purposes. So, um, of course, that, now maybe another thing to look at is the, the BCG did a, did a study last year uh, looking at uh, willingness to pay. There seems to be a threshold um, for, for willingness to pay at about 200 euros dollars per ton. So some buyers might be on the sideline waiting until prices hit that range. But again, I think that will only happen if they actually have a need for carbon. If they don't um, be that through quasi-regulatory things such as SBTI or because regulatory measures come actually in place requirement com requiring companies to buy, um, I don't think significant demand will, will materialize. That's a sad <laughs> statement. Uh, yeah, it, it's the unfortunate reality that we're in, which... At the same time, I think should create some urgency on the policy side to come up with alternative ways of supporting startups or RCR suppliers, right? So we see in the US, our first government procurement program being launched. We have seen similar things in Sweden and Switzerland. We need to see more of it uh, because we, we just cannot wait for, um, for too long for, uh, for the VCM to follow suit. Um, because right now really are the formative years of carbon removal. There's, there's research by Greg Nemet on scaling CDR, and it, it's very clear that if we wait too long now, the growth rates and curves that we would need to realize are just way too steep, way too steep, way steeper than what we see in solar and other high scaling technologies. So really right now is the time. And I think our job at Remove beyond supporting startups is also making sure that message gets across to policymakers. Um, regularly put startups in front of policymakers. We take policymakers with us to site visits because we fundamentally believe um, they have to see it to believe it, right? They have to stand in front of a direct air capture pilot that is three meters high and three meters wide to see, okay, this is happening right now. This is not just in a lab or in 2050. Right now is the time to support carbon removal so that we can all rely on it for the residual emissions in 2050. So with all of that said, what would your predictions be for the CDR space in 2024 specifically and, and beyond that? Like, how do you see the space developing? Is it reasonable to believe that we will at all get enough, uh, get to that, you know, gigaton scale in time to actually make a difference? I think we will. 
I think I'm also biased on this, of course, because I get to work with all this, uh, the suppliers that just have so much enthusiasm day in and day out. Uh, and that what that's what makes me an optimist. Um, I think in 24, we'll see a bit of an expansion of the buyer base beyond the first moves. So uh, we'll see a few maybe industrial players. We'll see more airlines dipping their toes into carbon wool, which is good. Um, but they'll probably only be doing it in small ways because, again, there's no real rationale to buy. So what would be a game changer here is if SPTI gave clearer guidance on the way that corporates should deal with carbon removal and should deal with it right now, namely buy it right now already. Um, I think maybe looking at specific carbon removal methods, um, I'm looking forward to more clarity on on how we deal with uncertainties in open system CDRs, so be that enhanced work rating, ocean alkalinity enhancement. I think these hold tremendous potential for scale, but because they are open systems by their nature, they just come with a lot more uncertainty. Uh, and we need to find ways as a space to deal that and find acceptable levels of uncertainties and how to incorporate them in crediting mechanisms. Um, and I think what 24 will also show is that, well, most of the CDR activity up until now has happened in North America and Europe. But I think we'll, we'll slowly, or rather fast, hopefully, realize that just like climate change is a global problem, the solutions to it need to be global as well. So Carbonoble would need to become a global industry, um, especially the global south, which is most affected by climate change um, hasn't really contributed to it significantly. So I think carbon removal could be an opportunity for them to move beyond um, mere adaptation to, to take a more active role in actually fighting the climate crisis uh, and also partake in the value creation that, that lies in it. So I think there's plenty of great examples already in India, be that MASH makes or, or Mati or in Kenya with Octavia, the Great Carbon Valley. And I think looking ahead, this has to be part of how we think about carbon removal. I think we need to think about carbon removal as a globalized industry. And also for us at Remove, this is quite key to what we'll be doing uh, next. I mean, we'll continue to support the European ecosystem because we, we just need to have more startups coming out of it. We need to have more starts, uh, shots on goal, but we also want to create those or help create those entrepreneurial ecosystems in these geographies. We'll be kicking off a first program in in India uh, in the second half of this year. There's just massive potential CDR and massive potential for for our job creation. So also from an economic perspective, and there's also a few other geographies which I think could also benefit from a supportive entrepreneurial ecosystem uh, to ensure that the global south isn't just a um, geography for us to deploy carbon removal, but one that really develops carbon removal and makes sure significant amount of the value created stay within those communities. Excellent. And speaking of, uh, of plans for the future, are there any other announcements or other major steps that you're ready to, to speak to? Yeah, I think it's for us, the key really is our, our three priorities. It's one, the, the European program continuing to do it. The second one is um, to follow through on our policy the theory of change uh, to make sure we get as many startups in front of policymakers as we can. And the third one is the geographic um, well, expansion, if you will. 
Um, all of this, of course, sort of is reliant on support from partners as we are a nonprofit. So that I think is the fourth focus for us is to um, fundraise, to have the resources required for us to follow through on all these uh, systemically relevant uh, gaps that, that we want to work on going forward. Brilliant. Ryan, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed learning about Remove's role in mitigating climate change and supporting carbon removal. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Violet. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Carbon Stations podcast and would like to hear more conversations like this, please be sure to subscribe. We really appreciate the support. <laughs>